Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. Christians are called to make a difference in the world around us for the cause of Christ. As a peculiar people, filled with God's power and His peace, you have a divinely appointed purpose. Continuing in this series from Pastor Brad Wells on Making a Difference, our prayer is that God would show you how He can use you in your circle of influence. Now here's this week's message from Gracewood. with me and go to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Now, last week we began the counter-cultural message oh, of submission. Just the word just kind of doesn't really want to come off of my tongue nor yours. And, and we saw actually it more of in a negative light. What to do when authority goes awry was our title and we looked at abuse, actually abuse of government power, and, and government does have power, and God commands Christians to submit to government, but sometimes there is abuse. And then it talked about the employer and the employee relationship, and God commands us to serve in our jobs as if we're serving the Lord, and we're supposed to look right through or right past our boss and see the Lord. And we, we submit and we serve, even if they are somewhat abusive uh, to us, uh, and we continue on and, and go forward. And we just introduced in chapter number three, I think we did the first two verses, about the wife and how that she is supposed to submit to her husband. And that is just, it, it's not natural in any culture or amongst any people. It's a struggle. It's, it's difficult but it is God's way. It's not my way or your way or the other way or the old way. Really, it's the only way. The only way that ever works is God's way. And if something is working and people are not necessarily claiming the name of the Lord or adhering to the scripture, the word of truth, that system is working because they are implementing a system of God, a principle, a, a biblical eternal truth, and whether they know it or not, they're applying it in their homes, in their lives, uh, in some way, and, and God is going to use that. And, and God wants to bless us. God created us and designed us. God engineered you and I to make a difference and, and to have an impact, but we are going to have to do it His way. It's just like any government. It's just like any business it's just like any entity, God has to, well, the boss has to have their way and the employees submit and come alongside and we have a great and prosperous response. So today we're talking about the effect of a well-ordered home, the effect of a well-ordered home from 1 Peter chapter number 3. And we've got three little points, and I would encourage you to write things down wherever you can. That's just fine. Uh, the first one is winsome wives and then honorable husbands and the result, happy homes. Now, no matter what kind of home you came from, you can develop a happy home. And I think every home and every business, every nation does go through hard times and would be on the edge of uh, something that wasn't going quite as well as it should be. But uh, 
God's order and God's blessing is, is a happy home. So our title today, How to Save Society. And that's a bit humorous, and I'm almost kind of chuckling as I say that because it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think, I'm going to save society, and here's my cape, and dun dun dun, dun and here I go. But uh, the truth is this, that God starts with a man and a woman, and he puts them in a garden, and, and blesses them, and Everything that God does, he begins really, really small. Jesus, when he came to save the world, started as a baby. Now, not a baby in prominence in the castle, in line to be the next whoever, whoever, but in a manger with a, an oppressed nation in the worst of situations where even his own people didn't respect him or believe the story of the virgin birth and all of this, of this stuff. So, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've been through, God can use you. So, 1 Peter chapter number 3, and we don't want to be dependent upon what I say or my thoughts, but we want to follow the very word of God. So, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1 starts off with the word, likewise. Likewise. Now, the reason it says likewise is because we have already uh, talked about in chapter number 2, Submission to government, submission to our boss in, in business, and, and now it switches to the home. And this is the, the very base element that God will use to change any society. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. If any obey not the word, and that would be the word of God, they also may without the word or without the argument or without preaching or without harping may be won by the conversation of the wives. In other words, a wife has the ability to win her husband to the Lord through this oftentimes very difficult process of submission. When the Bible is talking about submission, it's not talking about suppression. And oftentimes we, we think that way. Suppression is to hold somebody down. And, and that's not what submission is. Suppression is top down. I am suppressing you. But submission is, is not that at all. Submission is a choice. I gave you a definition last week. I've added a few words to it I think will help. Submission is one equal yielding to another for the purpose of order, structure, and progress. One more time. One equal yielding to another for the purpose of order, structure, and progress. Now, chapter 2 spoke, as I already said, about the uh, submission of, of citizens and then the submission of employees. And there are three great spheres that God recognizes. And that is the home, the church, and the government. Now, the home and the church is that place where God asks the wife to be in subjection. And I want you to notice that it's to their own husbands. Leave uh, verse number one up here if we could. Be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, this is not saying that all women should be in submission to all men. That is not what this is saying at all. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this order and submission in the home for progress, for unity, and for structure. Without that, there's, there's chaos, and there starts to be the, the element of resentment when one feels like they're not reaching their potential. And I dare say that just 
in the DMV area, there's the majority of homes. The man doesn't feel like he's reaching his potential. The woman doesn't feel like she's reaching her potential. And there's some striving. There's some there's resentment. There's sometimes abuse, maybe from one party to the other, or, or maybe a back and forth from both parties, and the children suffer. And you know, recently, in the last decade or two, the percentage of divorces has actually went down, which sounds good until you factor in that the percentage of marriages has went down. So it's not necessarily that people are getting along better and there's not as many divorces as there used to be as people are just kind of giving up that this whole marriage thing doesn't even work. And so we'll maybe get along the best we can. We'll try to uh, do what we can. But uh, following this biblical worldview, I, pff, this sounds like ancient times and th there's no way that can work in a modern world. And I want to submit to you that the only way a man and a woman and children can get along and, and become the collective sum becomes greater than the individual parts, there's true synergy, the only way that will happen is with submission. One reason that really kind of grinds against us, and there's quietness in this room right now, <laughs> the reason is, is because we always think of submission as inferior and superior. And that's not true. I want you to think about Jesus. How many of you would say, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I believe he's the Son of God. And the Christian worldview, of course, is God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. That's, that's God. And the Bible says that Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Remember that in the garden? Not my will, but thine be done. He submitted to God. But he was equal with God. What about this? Jesus with Joseph and Mary. Did Jesus submit himself to his physical parents? Absolutely. Yeah, he did. He submitted. As a matter of fact, uh, Luke chapter 2, I think it's the last two or three verses there, it talks specifically that Jesus submitted himself to his father and to his, to his mother, speaking of Joseph and Mary. Well, Jesus obviously is superior. He's, he's more intelligent. He, he's God but he submitted for order and for structure and for progress. The Bible nowhere gives absolute control or absolute submission. So in government, a citizen is never to be absolutely, totally submitted to the government. Now, even in modern times, in the modern Western mind, we, we believe that. That's why you hold people accountable for war crimes. And they say, well, the government said to do it but that is immoral. You can't do that. And we're going to hold you accountable for that. So you're never to, to go, how far do I go with this submission thing? And I, I want you to remember this, never sin in the name of submission. As a citizen, never sin in the name of submitting to the government. As a employee, never sin in the name of submission. Your boss says, I want you to do this. I want you to, uh, cook the books. I want you to drop this box off over here or, or say you dropped it off and sign it off or, or whatever. Never sin, even though you were told to, never sin in the name of submission. And that goes for the home as well. Now the wife is supposed to be in submission to her husband, but never sin in the name of submission. And there's no general submission of all women 
to all men. That is incorrect. That is not of God. That is not the biblical worldview. The man is over the woman only in two spheres, and that is in the home and in the church. Now, let's look at verse number two. We developed verse number one quite a bit last week. Let's look at verse number two. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So here's the husband that is not a believer. Now, Peter is writing this as a letter And he's writing this initially to the first century and then throughout all the different centuries. But in that first century mindset, it was impossible for a woman to have a different religion than her husband. That would just be, that'd be just crazy. That would never happen. But it was happening. And that's why Christianity was just, it was just so different. It was so radical. And that's why God is having Peter deal with this exact situation. What does a woman do? What does a Christian woman do in a house under a husband that is of another belief system? And God says through Peter, so no, submit. Do whatever he says up to these limits, up to these limits, not sin, not sin, not do, not break any moral code or law. Look at verse number three. Now it talks about in verse number three, attraction or adorning. And that's what God wants the ladies to do. These winsome wives. And our our subtitle of point number one is stop preaching and start attracting. That's what Peter is saying. Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning attraction of the uh, the plaiting of hair or braiding of hair and a wearing of gold or a putting on apparel. Now, sometimes people say, well, the Bible says you're not supposed to braid your hair or you're not supposed to uh, wear any gold. And, and they would cite this verse. The problem with that is that if you're saying that's what that means, well, then you have to continue with this third point that you're not supposed to wear any apparel. <laughs> that's not what it's saying. Uh, by the way, this word uh, adorning is the word cosmos. That's the worldview. That is the world of hair and makeup. That is the world of clothing. This is the Cosmopolitan magazine. Uh, This is all of these trends and uh, of all of these different styles that are going. I think they're styles. I don't know what those styles are. I just say, buy me some clothes and I'll put them on. But the ladies, what you're supposed to do is this attracting is not supposed to be just in the physical world. But what? Look at verse number four. And we're just going to march right down through chapter three because it's the word of God. I dare not say my own words. Everybody's like, what are you preaching, something? No, I'm not. This is, I'm just telling you what the Bible says here. Verse number four. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. And that's what Peter is, is really bringing out. The main attraction should be that of the internal that internal element of humanity, those things that are so wonderful and beautiful. In other words, ladies, as, as you are attracting, as you are attracting to Christ, as you're hoping and longing for spiritual change to take place in the husband, it's not supposed to be preached out or spelled out, but lived out. That is, without a word, this is, they, they see your lifestyle. It's not outward, but it's inward. It's something within, in that which is not corruptible. Obviously, every style changes and goes in and goes out, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, 
which is in the sight of God of great price. Obviously, great price refers to verse number three, all those different styles and all those different things. You can spend a small fortune or big fortune on them. But here, this, this is what God values. This is the great eternal price in that spirit, in that heart. And so ladies, work on, manufacture the element of attraction that is internal, that can't be taken away, that you won't lose as the styles change or the seasons come and go or age takes them away. It's not gold, but gentleness, that meek and that quiet spirit. Meek and quiet speaks of being controlled and content. Now, the illustration is given in chapters, uh, verse number five and six, and that is of Abraham and Sarah. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, and that should be the goal. Men, we should have a desire to be holy men, not trying to fit in or be the in vogue or the cool guys. And ladies, the same thing, but uh, we should strive to be holy. Holy is acceptable before God who trusted in God, and there's our word, adorned or attracted or beautified themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. And verse number six gets straight into Sarah, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse six really brings up the problem. Problem is this is a fearful thing. And it goes back to, remember, it all started with likewise wives. It goes back to citizens. It goes back to employees. Why won't I uh, just give myself to this? Because it's a fearful thing to surrender your, your heart and surrender yourself. And what if this bozo tramples my heart and my feelings what if what if there's he goes too far and what if there's abuse and i know these five stories of abuse and all this sort of thing and and i get discouraged i'm 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 overwhelmed and and god is saying there are frightening elements but faith can overcome and god can work in this situation now he's not saying there's no reason not to step away from this remember the the boundary in the line is sin If there's sin, you need to get out. And there's all kinds of abuse in our world all over the place, but there's no room for it in the home. The goal is the happy home. So abuse is is not happy. Abuse is horrible, and you need to remove yourself. My wife and I have helped many ladies escape abusive home situations, horrific things I would never mention here. So we have seen some terrible, terrible things. And we have helped people escape. And the abusers would would come to our mission station and confront me oftentimes with a whole bunch of people. And it was it was scary. And I was <laughs> amazed and afraid. And we should be striving, all of us together as a church, as a nation, and as families, to have the homes that God can bless to change a society. Now, men have a key part here, and it's going to come up here in verse number seven. Likewise, and that's how it started in verse number one with the wives, likewise, ye husbands. And it's talking about submission here. Employees, citizens, wives, and husbands. Likewise, ye husbands. Now, how do we submit? What do I do? And here it is, dwell with them according to knowledge. 
Now, a funny thing in New Guinea is in the villages, you have the little huts. And then at the end of the village, oftentimes by the the nice view over the waterfall and where the fishing is good or something like that, they have the, the man house. And the man house is kind of where all the men escape to. And the, the women and the kids live in the, in the houses many times. And every culture is a little bit different there in, in New Guinea. But the, the men would be over here and they, they live aloof to themselves. And it's kind of the, the Peter Pan life of never growing up. And God says that, that'll never work. You're, you're to dwell with them. And it's not just cohabitation, but it's giving your mind it's conversing. It's communicating. And I thought that was really unique about New Guinea, about the men and the women and the families. But it's not so unique. There's a lot of man houses here in D.C. They happen to sell alcohol or give good views of sporting events. And oftentimes people hang out and are aloof and far from their wives. Men, let me say, As followers of Christ, as Christians, we have no business. We have no business living a life aloof from our wife and our children. We should be connected with them, and it should be with with conversation, talking about things. (laughs) Now, I think I've given you the illustration about, about the difference between the boys and the girls at the playground. Basically, 100% of the noise that came out of uh, little girls' mouths were words. They were talking to friends, to imaginary friends, or to themselves. And almost none of the sounds that were coming out of the boys' mouths were words. They were grunts, and and they were uh, driving trucks, and and punching things, and shooting things, and and that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. And, And women speak more than men. And the classic man is, I don't know what to say. And so guys, let me just say, we need to be good communicators. Now look at this. It says, men, this is how we submit to the ladies here, giving honor unto the wife. Now earlier, the wife is to give honor to the husband, but here, the husband, you're to give honor unto the wife. The home should be a place of affirmation. The home should be a place of safety. The the home should be a place where you feel at home (laughs) as unto the weaker vessel. Now, this is not an insult to women. God made men strong and women beautiful. And God made the man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And God said, I think I can do better than that. (laughs) And he made the woman. And the woman is different than the man. Now, preachers never used to have to say that, but we've got to say that these days. The woman has qualities that the man doesn't have. Now, physically, the woman is not as strong. Now, obviously, there are some women that would be stronger than some men. That, that's true. But generally speaking, physically, the, the woman is more refined. And God designed it that way. That's not a negative thing. That's, that's a positive thing. It's a coffee mug versus a, a little china teacup. And that's, that's what God has designed. And by the way, that is a great asset to the man. Now notice this next phrase, the man and the wife. The man, men, you're to give honor unto your wife. She's a little more fragile than you. You're to honor her and give her that, 
chief place. In my dining room, many of you have been there, we've got a little a glass case, and it's got a little light in there, and there's several little teacups in there. And they're on display, and they're hand-painted, and they're kind of neat. And over around in the kitchen, there's, there's a bunch of coffee mugs, and they're kind of chipped up and banged up, and they're stuck in there. And one is for one occasion, and the other's on display. And that's kind of what the man and wife are to be. But notice this. They are heirs together of the grace of life. Now, this is not speaking of heaven. This is speaking of the enablement, the empowerment to make a difference in your world. Daily grace, daily strength to make it through. And you become heirs together. That is the strength that I need. Come on up here, Deborah. The strength that that I need, I don't receive as an individual. We receive together. And so God wants us to be together. Now, we're different. We're different. We're not the same. I don't think the same as she does. We work together every day. Every day we work together. And my wife helps me with these thoughts and those things. And when she says stuff, I'm like, what did you say? I don't even know. <laughs> and I, it's like we're speaking different languages and we've been doing this for 27 years. Now, I don't think the great aha factor or the great crescendo or the, the great arrival place is when we finally see everything the same. That, that is not the great hope. The great hope is that we are two very different people and she fills in where I'm weak, and I fill in where she's weak. And we come together, and we receive the grace of life. And God will bestow into your life and into my life, into all of our lives, individually, that package of heaven-sent grace to get you through. But it's going to have to be together. So I can't say, Deborah, why don't you stay here and, and watch the kids and do everything I say, and I'm going over here, and I'm living this life over here, and then I get the grace, and I bring it back. When I come back with the grace that I receive, it won't be enough for both of us. And now we'll be struggling and fighting. God wants us to live together. And the only way that happens is with this divine order given in First Peter 3, verse 1 through verse number 8. And men, what is all this? The grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. A scary thing is that if we're abusive men, if we are aloof, if we're deadbeat dads and delinquent husbands, if we refuse to communicate, if we pout and draw off by ourselves, I know none of you would ever do that, I know. Our prayers could be hindered. So I cut myself off from my wife, and God says, oh, you want to play that game? And I get cut off from God. Now, we need each other. We need each other. We have to get along. We have to get together. So winsome wives. The wives need to be winsome. Stop the preaching and start the attracting. And husbands, we need to be honorable. Honorable husbands, we need to stop leaving and start loving. Start loving. And it's in life. Not absent, but present. Not underhanded in some manipulative way but understanding according to knowledge. 
It's not treating the wife as worthless and weaker, but precious and unique. And verse number seven here, we're not contenders, but we're heirs together. We're helping each other. Now, verses 8 all the way through the rest of the chapter speaks of that happy home. And in that happy home, we need to stop competing and start rescuing or saving each other. It says, finally, be ye all of one mind. Well, how do we get to one mind? Well, it's easy. Just start thinking the way I think. No, that's not what he's saying. It is that we are, by mutual consent, by communication, by hard work, sweat and tears, we come to understanding, we have come to an agreement, having compassion. Having compassion. What does that mean? Basically, it means this. Stop being a jerk. (laughs) That's what it means. You can't be a jerk. You can't be mean. You can't be rude. You can't be cruel. But having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Now, you might be able to apply that. Well, it's talking now about the church or now about the nation. We need to love each other and treat each other as brethren. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's true. But I think it's still talking about the home and the husband and wife relationship. And it's talking about there's a whole list of one another's in the Bible. I believe it's 53 of them. We are to love one another, and we are to help one another. And you know what? In marriage counseling, as Deborah and I work with people, it is an amazing thing that I believe this. If people would just do the brotherly thing, not just the husband and wife thing, just treat each other like Christians, treat each other like God's people, and just go through that list of biblical one another's, I mean, all the problems would be taken care of. Love as brethren. And be pitiful. Be courteous. And this is is how to have a happy home. So single people, don't be thinking, oh, this is not for me. This is for you. This This is the biblical worldview. Now, all kinds of other worldviews are floating around out there, and the more educated you are, the more degrees you get, the greater the chance that the biblical worldview has eroded a little bit in your heart. And so you've got to assure that up there by reading the Scripture and saying, all right, now what is this talking about? It's talking about how to have a happy home And at at the end of all of this, of all your differences and the way you see it and the goal I had, and I've always thought this way and my dad did it like this and, and then I had this one boss that said this and that really meant a lot and I took this one class. Well, after all of that, you've got to get on the same page. Let me say it like this. Whatever you can agree on will succeed. Now, if you can't agree, it's not going to work. What I mean by that is not just, okay, you can do it your way. All right, all right, fine. And Deborah and I have done some all right fines in our life, and it doesn't work. We've got to come to one mind. We've got to have compassion. We've got to love. We've got to be pitiful, and we've got to be courteous. Verse number nine, not rendering evil for evil. That is, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do something wrong. She'll mess up. I think she'd Maybe once or twice in the last 27 years. Maybe once. But it can't come back. No. Now the human way, all culture, is tit for tat. It is like, you did this, I'm doing that. It's eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. But the way of Christ, the way of the Christian, is not rendering evil for evil. Railing for railing. 
But opposite of that, contrary-wise, blessing. I am to bless. If I am upset, my wife needs to bless. She's good at blessing. <laughs> if, if she's upset, I need to bless. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. The confidence we have is this. I'm not trying to twist God's arm behind his back. I'm not trying to get something that he doesn't want to give. God's whole plan is to bless your home, to bless you. That's why God created you. But you're going to have to do it God's way, that you should inherit a blessing from God. For he that will love life, and by the way, this is a quote from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 15. For he that will love life and see good days. Would you like to see some good days? Well, sure. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Oh, our mouth, our tongue. Watch out. And his lips that they speak no guile. Our tongue, our lips, our mouth. It is so important what we say. You know, most fights and struggles happen between 5 and 7 in the evening. That's not just when you're hungry, it's when you're hangry. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're frustrated and you got a little uh, something going on in your neck and in your back and, and some little thing will just set you off. That's when you need to remember 1 Peter 3.10. You want to love your life? Well, sure you do. You want to see some good days? Just watch your words. Watch your words. Don't fly off the handle. Those that fly off the handle never make a good landing. <laughs> and it's not me, it's we. We're working together. It's not keeping tabs and keeping a list of wrongs. It's becoming that forgiver. It's becoming more than just a forgiver. It's becoming a blessing. Not keeping tabs, keeping the peace. Look at verse number 11. Let him eschew evil. That means hate it. That means run from it. And do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Go after peace. Now, almost always, there will be a little, a little presentation of peace somewhere in that conversation. And when the conversation starts to go south a little bit, and you start to get a little out of kilter, you get a little off balance, and you're getting a little irritated, and somebody's rubbing the back of their neck, often that's a sign of anger. There is peace somewhere, and you've got to go after it. And I want to encourage you, go after peace. Go after it. Go get it. And when the conversation starts going south, don't just stay after it. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you something. No, no, no. Back up. Run from evil and go get peace. Verse number 12. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God is right there. You don't want the face of God against you. You want the eyes of God blessing you. You want the kind favor and the mercy of God in your life. You want His blessing. You want His, you want His smile. You want the twinkle of His eye. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Did your mom or dad ever have an evil eye? 
and maybe you have company over and you're doing something just a little wrong. And my mom would, I mean, she'd be kind and sweet. And then I'm over there doing something. She'd be like, and I mean, her eye was like, (laughs) how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. (laughs) God is like that. God wants to bless, but his face is against those that do evil. Don't do evil. Do right. Go get God's peace. Now remember, it's just like when we were talking about the the attraction, the adornment of the woman. It's supposed to be from the inside, not the out. The outside is not to eclipse the inside beauty. That inside beauty. Now look at this in verse number 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? It's talking about how if I submit myself, if I decide to follow God, and I, if I decide to be a Christian, if I really get the biblical worldview and do things God's way, I don't know. I'm so vulnerable. I'm, I'm kind of scared of this. I mean, I, I knew a bad situation. I saw abuse. And, and, and then God says here through the voice of Peter or the pen of Peter, who's going to hurt you if you be followers of that which is good? Verse 14, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. What? Now this is the supernatural element. God calls his people sometimes to suffer. Now it's not all smiles and raises and promotions and blessings and happy days, no Mondays, only Fridays. Sometimes God's people have to suffer. That's what we went over in in our Sunday school class with the the three Hebrew boys that went into the fiery furnace. God called them to suffer, but at the very last verse of that chapter, God promoted them. God calls people to suffer for righteousness' sake. When that happens, they should be happy. That doesn't even make sense. Yes, it does. You see it all the time. You'll see somebody, and the boss says, hey, I need you to stay uh, five hours after work. Got a tough job, but I'll tell you what, uh, I'll give you double time or time and a half or whatever it is. And it's a lousy job, and I'll throw in an extra week of vacation. And all of a sudden, that guy is happy. Why? Because he's suffering. I'm working extra hard, but the boss is making up for it. Isn't that right? And that's what God is saying. You know what? You might have to suffer. But heaven says, I'll make up for it. Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. You don't have to worry about what man does to you. Why? Because I am trusting in in God. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. You've memorized this verse before. Be ready to give an answer. What's the answer for your life? How are you happy? That's kind of what he's saying. Why are you happy? It's God. I'm trusting in God. Wait a minute. You're going through trials. You're going through suffering. But I'm happy. And I know that God is going to get me through. Let me ask you this. What are you trusting in today? Where's your hope? I believe that the biblical worldview asks for women to be winsome, for husbands to be honorable and faithful, And the whole home to be happy. Even if you have to go through something a little bit hard. And here's the whole goal. Verse number 16. Having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. How's your conscience today? Is there something inside that's sort of kicking against you? Kind of hurting you? 
having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, that's an accusation. They're saying you're an evildoer. They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You've got a lifestyle in Jesus. Nobody can see evil against you. As a matter of fact, when the accusers come and they say, we saw him doing that, and we saw him saying this, and we've got record of it, the rest of society goes, come on, we know who that is. And your accusers end up being ashamed. You've got such a good lifestyle. You've got such a happy home. As a woman, you're so winsome. As a husband, you're so honorable. That's how we make a difference. That's our subject this year. How do we make a difference? Is there any hope for America? Yes, my friends, there is. It's us. It's our own winsomeness. It's our own honorableness. It's our own happy homes as we live for God and we give from a pure conscience testimony to the living God and that our accusers are ashamed. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Music